University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew in a series entitled Pathfinder, Discovering the Journey Through Jesus of Nazareth. And we have uh, found ourselves weaving our way through different verses uh, within this gospel to see who Jesus is and what Jesus is inviting us into. Now, you might be thinking, well, I know Jesus, got it down pat. But have you ever considered if the Jesus that we know is maybe not the Jesus that we encounter within the Gospels? Have you ever considered that the Jesus we know to be interpreted through a modern-day lens of evangelical Christianity? What happens when our theological understandings of Jesus encounter the Jesus of the New Testament that stands beside the marginalized and the outcast and the so-called sinners and unrighteous? What happens when the Jesus that we shape in our image contradicts the ones who stands against self-righteous religiosity? What happens if the Jesus of the Bible would have nothing to do with the terminology that has become so associated with his followers, such as conservative or liberal, fundamental or progressive, Democrat or Republican, Baptist, Catholic or evangelical? What happens if the Jesus of the Gospels would not touch our political and economic and social statuses with a 10-foot pole? So this series is an invitation for us to re-examine who Jesus is and what he's inviting us into. And I don't think there's a better way to encounter the essence of what Jesus is inviting us into than through our text this morning, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a fascinating sermon in which Jesus stands and delivers these long discourses. And what we begin to read is it's not this discourse into this new religion, this particular way of looking. You have to dress this way to come and worship God, or the fog and the lights have to be perfect in order for God's presence to be felt in worship. What we see is that Jesus is inviting people into a new way of thinking and living, something completely different than we can experience apart from him. And so Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is this beautiful and difficult passage. For some, as we encounter it this morning, it might offend us. For some, it might challenge us. For some, it might inspire us to follow Jesus in the Gospels. And so I'm going to do something a bit different this morning. Three quarters of my sermon this morning are going to be Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And what I invite you to do this morning is maybe not follow along in your text, but sit back and listen and receive these words of Christ. Jesus got up before the people and he began to preach, Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down with the disciples and came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who insulted and persecute and falsely are called all kinds of evil against me, because be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you put it under a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on its stand and give it light so that all can see within the house. In the same way, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until they come into fulfillment. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said to people long ago, do not murder anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid it in full. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one eye than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to walk one mile, go two miles with him. Give to the one who asks of you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward in heaven. So if you give to the needy, Don't do it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing and praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men that sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Do not store up treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eyes are all good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you will devote yourself to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you, your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the, the birds of the air. For they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? 
See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will you be clothed, O you of little faith? So do not say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and when the measure that you use it, it will be measured with you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye, and at the same time you have this plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to whom knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you when you ask him. So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do up to you. For the, this is the sum of the law and the prophets. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation in the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. A couple of years ago, we were building a new home and we were living with a family friend and we were set to move into this house on January the 2nd because the law office wouldn't be open on January 1st for whatever reason. And so that year for Christmas, I thought, I want to give Jennifer a housewarming gift. Sorry, reading the words of Jesus makes your mouth really parched. And uh, I came up with this great idea. I was going to have this plaque that says, Blessed are all those who come into this home. Hail family 2014, which was the year we were moving to the home. And so I went out and I 
purchased the wood, and I, I painted it, and it looked awesome. And then I started to write out the words on this plaque, and I don't know if I mentioned, but I have horrible penmanship. <laughs> it looked terrible. And so I repainted this plaque, and I went out and bought some stick-on letters from, like, Michael's, and, um, yeah, that was even worse. <laughs> and by the time I presented this gift to Jennifer, it probably would have been better if I had thrown it into the mud and then set it on fire. It would have looked a lot better than what I had done. Needless to say, this silly, awful plaque never made it into our house. And on top of that, it didn't actually fit above the door frame as I was hoping it would. So it's actually now rotting in the Johnston County Landway Center in North Carolina. All too often in our lives, no matter how hard we work in our careers and our families and our relationships and our goals and our dreams and our character and our perspective, sometimes it just feels like my special project for Jennifer, where we feel like we can never get it right. Our life never seems to be going the direction that we desire. You know, and that's actually the easy way to live. At the core of Jesus' teaching here in this moment, Jesus is shedding light into what it looks like to live a normal life, just like everybody else. It's normal to be saltless and dimly lit, easily anger, remorseless, lustful, judging of others, loose in our promises, nasty and hateful to those that we don't agree with, flamboyant and gaudy with our giving, publicly pious, to store up treasures for ourselves. It's easy to become less concerned with other people and more concerned with ourselves. It doesn't take much work for us to begin to avoid meekness and compassion through spreading the gospel to other people. <coughs> Excuse me. It's easy for us to be consumed with work and free time and being an American and have a certain station in life and have a certain economic status and social status and so on. It's super easy to, <clears throat> to let church be a building <clears throat> that we come to once or twice a week and then leave and go out on our own instead of being a transformative community of living out this way of Jesus in the world. And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is, is not a continuation of what's always been done, of the same old, same old. Instead, what we see is an invitation into a new way of thinking and living. It's something different. You can call me a weirdo. Um, I think it would have been funny if somebody said weirdo right at that moment, but nobody did. But usually, uh, I eat the same thing for lunch every single day, which is an apple, uh, a handful of almonds, uh, and an extra handful if I'm a little, feeling a little saucy that day. And then I eat a, an avocado, just like I would eat an apple. And for some people in here, you really hate avocados because you don't like the texture, and we'll pray over you afterwards because they're delicious, super, super uh, food that you should be eating every day. And I find this very fulfilling. However, the last couple months, I've noticed that I had a streak of avocados that were just kind of chalky tasting and very stringy and not very good. And after a couple weeks of this happening, I did some research and come to find out uh, what was typically is an avocado season is only about 10 months out of the year. 
So in order to keep up with America's demand for avocado, uh, farmers are having to manipulate the crops and the environments around it to produce avocados at the rates that we try to eat them. In short, they're having to manipulate agriculture in order for it to be available year-round, but the result is it's a dilution of the avocado. So the next time you buy strawberries or blueberries in the wintertime, and they don't quite taste up to snuff, this is kind of the same thing you're dealing with. Towards Jesus' end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about good and bad fruit. He says good fruit is is easy to see. Bad fruit is is easily noticeable as well. Remember that scripture happens in context, so good and bad fruit is framed within Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He's trying to say that out of the contents of our life, we produce good or bad fruit. Good fruit is choosing to let love transform us instead of judgment and condemnation. It's at looking at someone with a broken heart and saying, I forgive you for what you have done. Good fruit is not paying people back with evil, but paying people back with good. Good fruit is being uh, humble people who look at our own brokenness and fix that before we begin to think that we can fix the brokenness in other people's life. Good fruit is produced by living in the way of Jesus. This is an invitation to cultivate a, a healthy and vibrant life journey with Jesus by living in this new way of Jesus. But where does this come from? How do we develop this healthy and vibrant life journey with Jesus? Does it come through rigid religiosity or worship attendance or reading our Bible every single day or giving a certain percentage of our income? Where does this come from? Gift giving in response to wrongdoing has always been a funny concept to me. Uh, Let's just say that I goof up and goof up big time. This is a hypothetical because I would never do that in my marriage where, you know, I would say something silly and stupid and regret it later on. No guy in here has ever done that, right? Oh, good to know I'm alone. Okay. And yet we're told by our culture that when we goof up, we should give some sort of gift to make up for it. Like, honey, here's a bouquet of flowers And then in like five days when they wilt, you're going to be reminded of why I gave you these flowers in the first place, which is, you know, I goofed up. The funniest gift, I think, to give somebody when you goof up is an edible arrangement. It basically says, hey, honey, um, I was stupid. I was an idiot. Um, I put you through an emotional roller coaster. Um, So here, stuff your face with this food. (laughs) You know, I I think we've too often been taught that the religiosity of Christianity is a guilt-driven thing. That in a sense, each week, you and I should be bringing in a I'm sorry edible arrangement to God every single time we come to worship. But what if that's not what Jesus is going for in this Sermon on the Mount? What if Jesus' intention is not to guilt us into a new way of living, to make us feel awful for who we are and what we get wrong? What if the Sermon on the Mount (coughs) shows us the extent of God's love and belief in us? What if the the only way to live a a vibrant and healthy life journey with Jesus is by accepting and receiving just how much God loves and believes in us and desires for us to live a full and vibrant life? The reformer John Calvin wrote, the torture of bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. You see, what I see within the Sermon on the Mount is not a condemnation of who we are, but an invitation into God's love and God's vibrancy. 
As one author put it, engaging in spiritual practice as a guilt-motivated duty is not helpful at all. The disciplines are an invitation into an adventurous, wild romp with God who's absolutely crazy in love with us. They are not an obligation or best practice, simply at an active response out of God's love for us. You see, what we see really within these words of Jesus is an invitation into love. An invitation into a love that transforms us into something new. As one author put it, we are seeking imperfectly at every turn, no doubt, an incarnational theology that brings a radical good news of joy for all people. Good news that God loves the world and did not send Jesus to condemn it, but to save it. Good news that God loves the world so much that his wrath is not for punitive, but for restorative hope. Good news that the fire of God's holiness is not bent to eternal torment, but always working to purify and refine us. Good news that while our sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. In Philadelphia, doctors at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health are doing some fascinating research into the human brain and faith. And the doctors have detailed their discoveries um, made through these brain scans they've done to religious subjects such as Sufi mystics, uh, Buddhist meditators, Franciscan nuns, Pentecostals, I'm sure that one was really interesting, and members of a secular religious groups uh, who follow spiritual rituals. And their original research uh, under, uncovered uh, specific neurological mechanisms that this is all above my pay grade in wording, by the way, um, that enlightenment experiences within the brain, and they provided clues by doing these brain scans of people during their religious practices. So one of their primary research areas is effective meditation on the cerebral blood flow. And during the meditation uh, or a sense of spacelessness, practitioners actually begin to flourish and, and brain flow in a certain portion of their brain that is not activated by those who are committed to a faith practice within their life. As one researcher put it, religious expert experience is perhaps the most influential part of people making decisions that affect all of us, for good and for ill. And understanding what happens in the brain con contributes to those decisions that are really important within our life. To me, what these researchers are highlighting is that our brain activates and comes alive in certain portions when we begin to put our focus on God. And I know that sounds so silly, and I know that sounds so simple, but very rarely do we get a peek into cognitive science that proves that our brains come alive as we begin to place our hearts and our minds on God. So what I see within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is what would it look like for us to change our way of thinking and living as we follow Jesus in faith? What would it look like for us to experience the transformation that Jesus desires for us to experience in a healthier and more vibrant journey? What does it look like for us to fix our minds on the way of Jesus? Would we begin to experience the activation in our lives of of what we didn't know was possible apart from God. As one author put it, the Sermon on the Mount seems dangerous. It challenges the whole underlining concept which modern society has built. It would replace it with a new conceptive, animated motion of new movement and turn us towards new goals in our life. 
Jesus is inviting us to step out into a new faith journey, believing that he is leading us to where we need to go and how we need to get there. Maybe the great words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer will resound within our minds when he wrote, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of, will not come from a new night, let me begin that quote again. The renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism, which has only come in an old, uncompromising allegiance to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's high time that we as the church band together to do this.